Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So, this series is going to be around mosaic. It's going to be around ethnic diversity, racial diversity, all that sort of thing. But it's coming rooted out of scripture. And hopefully if you were able to read Ephesians 1, if you saw the post online or, or got the message from me to read Ephesians 1, maybe you read some of what we'll talk about this morning. But we're going to be in the book of Ephesians um, for the next six weeks. Like we're just going to read a chapter a week. So if you all will read along with us each week, you will um, follow along with where kind of each talk is going and each week the discussion is going. So this week it's around Ephesians 1. But we're looking at this idea of diversity and of um, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic, um, multi-generational, like just how do we create a community of people that may not look like one another, but the reason we come together is because we actually have a deeper commonality than what people would think when just looking at people. Um, as we look around the world and our culture, um, we're really divided, and I don't think any of us are surprised at how divided we are, if you think about it. I mean, it, the culture in the world at large doesn't really have any solutions or any ways to really offer a deeper uh, way for people to connect that goes across the differences that they have, for the most part. For the most part, the, world, the world's solution to unity um, or bringing together people that are different are usually short-lived solutions or very shallow solutions, right? Like a, like a short-lived solution of a sporting event, right? We can see people of all different like, races, ethnicities, backgrounds end up coming together for a sporting event, but when that event is over, they typically still end up going back to racially divided homes, neighborhoods, maybe even going out to eat with the people who look like them or in the same social class as them, right? So, so that's a short-lived thing. It doesn't really, sports doesn't really do that as much as we wish it did or as much as our culture likes to point at it as doing. Um, we think about it with um, workplace or classroom, same thing. A lot of the times our workplaces or our classrooms are pretty diverse overall, but then when we go home for dinner or out to eat, we tend to still clump with people who perceptively were like, this person's like me. And it's not completely across the board, and surely it's shifted some over the generations, but still, there's still a pretty stark divide when we honestly evaluate where our culture is. And, and so, f you know, the integrations of the school was an important thing. It was a huge victory in the civil rights movement, but it did not solve the issue at all, right? Forcing people to go to school, forcing workplace, you know, hiring, which is law, there's laws for that, right? There's laws about even across gender, diversity of gender, right? Sports, Title IX, you got to have this many girls sports, this many boys sports. All of these things are good. These cultural solutions have not actually solved any of the issues, though, in a large way. And it's because most of them are very short-term or they're shallow. They're very shallow. Like, okay, if we can force people together in this classroom, then maybe somehow magically they'll just, 
also come together in their neighborhoods and their homes and around dinner tables. But it doesn't really work that way a lot of the times because there's still some difficult boundaries. There's, there's cultural difference. There's real cultural difference that can cause disagreement or just misunderstanding or just uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable just because it takes a little more effort for me to get to know this person, whereas I got to know this person really easy because perceptively they're like me, so we're going to go hang out and go out to eat. A lot of the times it's not from an impulse of, of negativity that we divide or of hatred or of I don't want anything to do with you because you're different from me. It's out of comfort, right? It's just easier when this person I perceive to be like me wants to go hang out, wants to live with me, wants to you know, room with me, all that kind of stuff, than, than it is to perceptively do those things with someone who's different, I perceive to be different from me, right? And so a lot of times it's not a negative impulse, but the culture, the world around us, when we look at it, really doesn't have a solution for diversity. They really don't. They, they're trying, like our world is trying, but they're not succeeding at the deepest levels. But what we find is that religion in general, but especially within Christianity, within the story of Jesus Christ, within the God of the scriptures that we read, there is a deep reason and means for unity. That there's a deep understanding of why unity is not just some ideal that's out there somewhere that we would like to see happen, but it's actually a driving force behind how God has intended his world to work itself out and his people to live out in the world. That no matter what seems to be dividing us, it should not divide us, and that there should be a deeper unity that draws us together in um, the church and in the body of believers. In, in Christianity, there should be this unity that goes deeper than anywhere else in the world and in our lives. And yet, as we discussed earlier, during our discussion time, um, the church is still very divided, right? The church is still very divided around um, ethnicity, sometimes around gender, uh, around social class, around denominational preference or music style, right? We get all these different, like, divisions that start popping up everywhere and have existed for a while now. And so it's an odd thing when the Bible describes this beautiful mosaic picture of what God intends for his people to look like, it's, it's an odd thing that then when we look out in the world, we don't see it. And so we have to struggle with that, and we have to figure out where, where, where does this make sense, and how, do we maybe, how are we a part of changing this? If we can't justify these unnecessary divisions, then how do we uh, participate in making a correction to what has happened? And that's what this series, Mosaic, is going to be about. We're going to look at the scriptures and the motivation it gives us and then some of the tools it gives us as well to, to work through the division we see. So the talking point this morning in this series for today is God's kingdom is not segregated. So God's kingdom is not segregated. And, and by segregated, we're not just talking racially. Usually that's all we think about when we hear that word. But you can segregate yourself from people for a variety of reasons. And God's kingdom... In the big picture of God's kingdom, it is not segregated. And this truth is deep-seated in Scripture. Deep-seated in Scripture. And we get a picture of this in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul starts this letter off to these group, this group of believers in a city 
called Ephesus, which was a big metropolitan area, would have had a lot of different kinds of people, and he starts this letter off and explains this plan God has uh, to bring everything back together that has been separated or divided. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, this is Paul writing to the Ephesians, but also applies to our life today. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will or plan regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased uh, purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful and true, and we just ask that as we reflect upon it, as we reflect upon our own lives, and as we reflect upon your will for us, your plan for us, that we um, would allow you to transform us, that your spirit, your presence would transform us and make us more into the people you've called us to be. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray all things. Amen. So Paul, in this passage, um, is making this point about how God brings unity through Christ to people. So, So we think racial division today in America is this huge thing, right? This huge barrier that needs to be overcome as if it's new to the world because it's not at all. It's not new to the rest of the world. You know, we're not the only country that struggles with racial division and it's not new to history. And Paul shows that here. If you read just a little bit of history around the Jewish people and how they interacted with people of different ethnicity than them, of different, they were of a different people group than them, Um, It was not a very positive interaction. Jewish people were very serious about being divided from people who were different from them. And they had very good reason, according to their scriptures, right? According to the Old Testament scriptures that God had given them, he wanted them to be a set-apart people. And they took it very literally, maybe too literally, and they started to set themselves apart. They drew very distinct lines in the sand between them and the rest of the world. And if you wanted to be a part of the people of God in the Old Testament, the Yahweh, then you had to do all of these things, I mean, jump through all of these hoops to become a Jew in order to join them. And, and it was not some easy process, right? And then Jesus changes all of that, right? And Paul is the greatest example. Paul, a person who called himself the Jew of all Jews, right? He was this ultra-Jewish male, who could have ended up being the leader of all the Jewish people. He likely was on the track to become the high priest, which was like, you know, their president, their big, big guy in the whole thing. He ends up encountering Jesus Christ, 
on, on, on his way to kill these new group of Christians. They weren't even called Christians then, but these people who were following this Jesus and, and trying to spread his message. He was on his way to kill them, and he encounters Jesus, right? He has this vision, and it transforms him. And he ends up becoming the biggest advocate for allowing the Gentiles, which the word there, Gentiles, we take a lot of the times as, as English speakers, we take this word and we assume it means one other ethnicity, but the word Gentiles in the Greek means nations, just the nations, all the other groups of people that existed in the world, right? Paul says, us Jews, we may have been the first to encounter Jesus, because Jesus was a Jew, he came to the Jewish people, all that kind of stuff. We may have been the first to believe, but now that the Gentiles have believed, the nations, all these other groups of people have believed, it's now our job to join them as one, because God has given all of us his presence, his spirit, right? Not just the Jews. You can read in Acts how God gave the Jews his spirit in a very powerful way, in ways that caused them to do things that were miraculous, right? They saw healings and all kinds of stuff. He also did that in the book of Acts for the Gentiles, for the people of all the different people groups that had started to come to faith in Jesus. He, God also poured out his spirit on them in the same way, and he was doing it, God was doing it to prove a point to his Jewish people, to prove a point to his very people, to say, hey, you thought there was this huge division between you and the rest of the world, but really there isn't. I didn't intend it that way, and let me show you. I'm not going to just give you my presence. I'm going to give all of them my presence as well. And Paul here is saying that becomes the thing that unites people, that as someone, no matter what nation, tribe, language, socioeconomic class, race, gender, generation they are, when that person places faith in God through Jesus and God's presence comes into them, right, the Holy Spirit comes into them, then they become one with us, right? So no matter what that other person perceptively is different from me, they may be of a different social class, of a different ethnicity, and speak a different language. No matter how I perceive them to be different, the moment that they've come into the presence of God and become a part of the family of God, we are of the same category. We are the same. We've both been transformed to become the same in that moment. And Paul is emphasizing that here to the, the believers in Ephesus, where he's saying unity is the key, that the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of his spirit, dwells in the unity of God's diverse people, that the fullness of God's presence dwells in the unity of God's people. So we don't even get a full picture of who God is unless we are seeing it expressed in a way that is across gender, across race, across social class, right? Unless we get a full picture of God's people, we don't actually get a full picture of God. That's the, the crazy thing here, that we've divided ourselves so much in today's world that we're not even getting full pictures of God anymore because we're only getting my version of God and my version that fits the people who look like me or who talk like me, who, who see the world like me. Does that make sense? And so 
the talking point this morning is God's kingdom is not segregated. God's kingdom is not segregated. It's not divided like this. So how do we make, make sense of why we're divided and how do we begin to change that? So over time, God has made this truth in Scripture an essential part of like my identity and my calling and where I'm going to see my life go, but then where I'm going to see ministries I'm a part of head, right? The, it's like a direction. It's like a beacon that's out there. Like, we're going to go this direction. This is the way we're headed. Because he, God just started to impress upon me how serious this issue is and how, because it displays for the world something that the world cannot figure out, something that only God can figure out as he transforms people, right? The world can't seem to figure this out, but the people of God can. We have the tools the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, faith in Christ, you know, we have the very things necessary in order to display for the world a, how you bring unity among people who are, who are validly different than one another, who come from different cultural backgrounds or different political perspectives or whatever, that we can actually manage to come together across those divisions. One of the ways in the last couple years that God has worked this out in my life is through a book called Multi-Ethnic Conversations, and I'm going to get you all that book before you leave today, but um, it's something we're going to look to try to read together over the next couple months, if if you're willing, little short snippets every day, so it's not a big, like, textbook. It's It's an easy read, but it's a hard read in the sense that it's really going to push us to think through these things, and I've led several groups through it over the last couple years, now um, of reading through this book, and it forces you to reflect on the reality of God's calling on us as his people, and kind of how have you missed that? How have we missed that? And, and that I've had to go through that journey in my own life, right? That, that I looked at, oh, this is what God's talking about. This is what his word really is displaying as how I should be living and how his people should be displaying to the world his love then why do, don't I look like that? Why don't we look like that? And so I'd have to wrestle with that. Um, in the book, in the opening chapters, it says, the, the re, we got the talking point for today from the fir- one of the first questions it asks is, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, why on earth is the local church? And that's one of the first questions it asks. And then later, as the authors are trying to help us as the readers wrestle with this, They say, those who are culturally blind treat everyone the same and expect everyone to think, behave, and respond the same without regard to cultural differences that exist. So it's interesting that we end up dividing because we don't actually understand how differences can not be the reason we divide. It's funny. We, we're blind. We're culturally blind to, hey, this person's different from me, but it doesn't mean we have to be divided. And because we're culturally blind to how to work with people who might be different from us, then we end up dividing. Like, there's an irony to it. Because we don't acknowledge the difference well, we don't do that well, then we end up actually dividing over something that's not even usually worth dividing over. So this came to light in one of our groups of how different people's experience is in the world um, early on. And um, I don't know if Derek was there that day. I know Sarah 
I don't think was there that day, but it was early on in the Unite ministry in Cordillo. But we were going through this book, Multi-Ethnic Conversations, and it was before we were even getting into the discussion of the book that day. Um, we were just talking about how our week had been, and I think you might have actually been there, because we were driving back from um, visiting family in Alabama, I think, but we were coming through this area to get back to Cordillo from, Al- from like Auburn, Columbus, where you have to come through Americas, right, down 19. And he was, Camden was real young, a young baby, and he was crying, and I was ready to be home. He was crying. I was being driven up the wall by a baby crying in the car. Like, I was just ready to get home. So I started speeding right north of Americas, between Ellaville and Americas. I started speeding to just get to Americas, and then I was going to, you know, do the speed limit through Americas, and then I was going to rock it all the way to Cordillo. Like, I was getting home because this kid was crying. Well, of course, on the way into Americas, a state trooper was sitting there and pulled me over. And, and so the cop pulls me over because I'm mad at the cop. Like, I'm just mad in general because I'm frustrated he's crying and not stopping. But I'm mad at the cop for pulling me over. Why are you pulling me over? Like, come on, just let me go. Like, I wasn't going that fast over because I think I was really only going like nine over or something. But because I saw him soon enough to slow down. <laughs> so I knew I wasn't going that much over for him to pull me, but he did anyways. So he's coming to the car, and, like, I'm frustrated at him. And, and so, like, at one point, he, he, he comes back to the car, and I'm, like, um, just being kind of terse with him but obeying. And then he comes back and wants to check on the car seat to see if I have it strapped in right. So at this point, I'm thinking, you're just trying to find a reason to write me a ticket because I wasn't going fast enough to write me a ticket. And so I get out of the car, and I'm like, okay, I'll check it with you and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sharing this experience with our group, right? And I can see as I'm sharing this, a couple members of the group have really wide eyes as I'm sharing this experience with them. And, um, and those members are not white. They're, they're not, the white people in the room seem to like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a normal experience. The, the black and Hispanic members in the room are like, oh, I don't even understand how you had that interaction with the cop that way. And, and, and I could tell, and I was like, okay, and one of them in particular, and y'all heard him on stage, Marcel, um, saying, spoke up and said, well, let me tell you about an interaction I just had a, with a cop recently. And he went on to describe, and at this point, Marcel's got young kids. Several of us in the room are, are fathers with young kids. And so a couple of us fathers are hearing him tell this story and, like, the emotions in us. We, for the first time, I think, really understood, like, oh, my gosh, your experience of being pulled over is totally different than mine. Like, and I can't understand. I can't get it. Like, it doesn't even make sense to me, but at least I can empathize. Like, I, I can go there. He be- went on to ex- explain this experience of being pulled over and how the entire, from the moment the lights went on and the cop got behind the wheel, his wife was, was stern with him about making sure his hands were on the steering wheel, that his heart was racing, that all he could think about was, am I going to die in front of my child today or is my child going to die? Like, and that's all that was running through his mind the entire time. And went on to describe the entire experience of how cautious he was, how, how respectful he was, how he tried to speak clearly and not reach for things. I mean, when the cop pulled up, I was reaching in the glove box to get my, um, to get my, li- you know, my registration and stuff. I didn't think about I shouldn't be reaching for anything, right? I, I had no awareness of that. And, and yet my friend here, is now telling me that's a whole different, that he experienced 
this, a similar circumstance in a totally different way. And, and I realized, what I realized in that moment was, it wasn't a moment of like, some sort of like, you know, rage against the government or like all cops are bad or any, like that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about he has a very real different experience of the world than I do. And yet, and yet, we don't have to be divided over our different experience of the world. We can actually find healthy ways to talk about how we shouldn't be divided over that thing. And especially within the kingdom of God, in that moment, we were able to connect on a deep level of understanding, of saying, okay, now I understand a little more how you see the world. You understand a little more how I interact with the world. We both are in the same place. We're both believing in, in Christ and in God to transform the evil in this world. How do we come together on this? How do we help one another grow in our likeness in Christ through these differences? Instead, instead of what could have happened there, right, was me and someone else who have never gone through an experience like that saying, well, you shouldn't have to feel that way with a cop, right? We could have said those kind of comments, or he could have said to us, like, you just don't understand, right? And we could have divided over this issue of experiencing our interactions with police differently, but we didn't. It wasn't a place of division. It was a place of difference, but it was a place of unity. We were saying, no, we're in this together. We're in this together to figure out how we can see the transformation of our world together and the transformation of us because we really believe that this is what God has called us to. God's kingdom is not segregated. It's not. We're not divided over these things. So then the local church shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. We should be striving for these kind of cultural, socioeconomic, all of that kind of diversity because what's at stake is the fullness of the experience of God's presence. That's what's at stake, that we're only getting miniature pictures of God when we're only in groups that are like us and that see the world like us and that experience God like us. But we get full pictures of really who God is when we begin to hear from people who might be different from us, who, who might experience the world different from us, who might see the world in a different way from us who might go through different struggles than we do, right? Who might battle different things, you know, things that we don't battle. And so this must become a core identity for us as individuals. It has had to become that for me. I, certainly I have not reached the place where I fully understand all of this, right? But I'm on this path where this is a core identity for me. It's a part of who I am, and it needs to become a core identity for us individually, for you individually, but then it needs to become a core identity for us corporately, as a group, as God begins to form a faith community, a new faith community, a new expression of God's people here in Americas. We already have expressions that are majority white. We already have expressions that are majority black. We already have expressions that are majority this style of music or that style of music. They already exist all over. We don't need any more of those. We do need expressions to start popping up, experiences to start popping up, displays for the world of God's people to start popping up that are diverse, that are multi-ethnic, that are multi-generational, that, that show the world, hey, just because this person 
experiences life a little different than I do doesn't keep me from coming together as one with them because we actually are connected in a deeper way than our experience of the world. Our experience doesn't keep us apart because we're connected with the God who created us and we're both connected together with that God. And we know that being a part of being made in his image, we both have a part of his image in us, parts of his image in us, and that together we get the fullness of God's image when we're together. And so we don't divide over the things that actually make us different. We unite because those differences together display God's image. And so that has to become a core kind of identity of who we are. And that is a core goal in the mission of, you know, the desire of what Sumter Chapel can be and hopefully will be, right? It's not going to be an easy road. It's not going to happen naturally. There's still a reality that, you know, as someone who is leading this ministry, I'm white. You can't deny that. And so immediate perceptive connection, right? Mostly white people are going to say, hey, like they shared in the video earlier with the guy who's the Asian pastor and planting a church, mostly the person who looks like you is going to say, oh, it's easy for me to connect with you because you look like me. So I'm going to fight that as one of the key leaders. And so early on we have to, we've been praying and we have to see God kind of raise up leadership that's, that doesn't look like me so that perceptively people can say, okay, then it's not just about a white guy that's standing in front. And that's why, you know, weeks ago, Marcel, Marcel, weeks ago, Marcus, Marcel and Tim were here rapping. That's why they're there. That friendship, that connection, it goes deeper than race or experience. Marcus shared weeks ago about this very topic as kind of a look into what this four-week series is going to be about. And, and that's why we're going to continue to build and lift up leaders that are from different perspectives, male, female, different, different generations, different uh, races, different socioeconomic classes, because we need leadership of this to, to look like God would want it to look. So as we begin to go out into the world and seek different people to join us, right, to gather together, then we're going to begin to form deeper relationships. That's that idea of banding together to look like Jesus. Like we're going to form these deep bonds that, that, will, that will hold no matter what difference we have. The deep bonds will cause the unity to happen in a way that won't allow difference to divide us. And that's the cool thing about the ending concert that happened this past week. I was able to step back and realize like I had been in a deep discipleship group relationships with, with John, who's on stage, with Marcel and Tim. Like I was watching this play out in front of my eyes like, okay, God, this is what you desire for us, that we that we seek people that are different from us to come together and form these basic friendships, right? That we gather together to start forming basic friendships. But the basic friendships isn't where it starts. If the church just does that, we're like the rest of the world. We're doing shallow, kind of just short-lived experiences of diversity. But we actually go deeper into these, into these banding together relationships where we begin to share difficult difficulties in life. We begin to share victories in life. We begin to overcome things together in life and it's through those bonds that God begins to form these deep family-like relationships between people who are perceptively different from one another 
that then it begins to form this multi-ethnic, multi-generational community that can change the world around us. So this is how we're going to respond this morning. This is how we're going to respond. I'm going to pray over us Jesus' prayer from John 17. Then um, I'm going to play a couple songs. The first one is mostly a response song, but I encourage you to sing along if you know it or as you start to get the beat down and everything and you want to sing along, sing along to it. But during the response time, spend a few minutes of just praying and reflecting upon what we've discussed and kind of God's word this morning. Spend a few minutes doing that, but then during that song at some point, take your name tag. It's going to be kind of a symbolic display, but I think it'll be kind of cool. But take your name tag and go up towards the altar area and you'll see a black poster board and just place your name tag on that poster board. And we're going to see the colors of the name tags that worked out real fun and the names and it's going to kind of be a display. And we're going to do that each week um, and just kind of create that mosaic picture of us with our names on that poster board. So do that during the first song. And then the second song is merely for us to really sing. It's a song by Wren Collective called Build Your Kingdom Here. But I'm going to start by praying over us this prayer that Jesus prayed for us in John 17. And then we're going to do these songs together. So this is Jesus praying for us all those years ago, um, and I'm going to pray it over us now. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they might be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, we do pray this, this prayer that Jesus prayed for us a couple thousand years ago now, that we would be one, that we would seek people different from us, at least perceptively different from us. We know deep down in your presence, through your son Jesus, they aren't different. They're of the same blood, the blood of Christ as we are. Father, that as we seek people different from us to come gather together, make us one in a deep way, not just a surface level friendship way, but we begin with friendships, we begin with surface level relationships, but that we would go deep with one another, with those that the world would say are different from us so that we can then display back to the world how we actually make up this beautiful mosaic of your people and how we actually make up a full display of your image for the world when we come together with those that are different from us so that your image is seen through all of us. And we pray that you would do this work in us and through us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all things. Amen.